pleasure to be here uh, again to preach from the Word of God. Uh, the topic I'd like to speak of today, or you could say the title, is The Unprofitable Servant. And I'm sure if anyone's been a Christian long enough, this is something in some way they can relate to. And I'm conscious about my own Christian life, that when I reflect, it's full of ups and it's full of downs. Sometimes it's for short periods and long periods, and sometimes it lingers, and it seems that this is how it's going to be for, uh, for the rest of my life. But lately, Pastor has been preaching specifically about how we can live a victorious Christian life, and I'm not preaching contrary contrary to that at all. Yet for many of us, and at certain times, it doesn't always seem to be that way. And I think one of the main reasons is because we often forget that the victory we have in Jesus Christ uh, has to do with spiritual victory, spiritual blessings. It's not always comprehended with what we can see and what we can feel and what we can touch. Much of the spiritual blessings that we have uh, sorry, much of the blessings that we have are spiritual. In Ephesians 1.13, it says that we have all spiritual blessings. We have all the spiritual blessings that you can possibly have, not later, but actually right now. And that is, a, that is a truth that the Bible teaches, that we have to try to comprehend that. And I want to give you an example, uh, an, an analogy. Uh, let's just say, for example... Uh, we're 18 years old. So if you're older, bring yourself back to 18. If you're younger, bring yourself up to that age. And let's just say, for example, that when we were 18, we were told that we had some lost inheritance, some inheritance that was given to us, and it would only be available to us uh, at the age of 50, let's say, for example. And it was going to be all the money in the world, all the money that we could possibly imagine and possibly want, we could just do whatever we wanted. So five years goes by and we're still feeling good. It's, we have this, this inheritance that's waiting for us. And then ten years goes by and we start to think to ourselves, oh, that, that money could be really helpful right now, the situation that I'm in. And by the time we hit twenty years, we begin to forget that we even have an inheritance. And I'm sure you can imagine, just like I can, that, that this scenario can be very true. And so it is with the Christian life. We often forget as time goes by what, we really, what kind of an inheritance we really have because much of it is waiting for us after death. So I'm saying uh, this because often when we get to this point, which we eventually will, and for some of us, it is right now, we need to be reminded to get back up, to get back up on the horse, to continue the race that Pastor has been preaching about, and to say, like Paul, I have finished the race, to be able to say that at the end of our course, and in the context of this particular message, to go from an unprofitable servant to one that is profitable. And the example that I'd like to, to give this, uh, this evening is the example of a gentleman called John Mark. So if you turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read verses 9 to 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
verses 9 to 11. And after I read the verses, as you follow along with me, I'll pray. I'll give the context to these passages, and then we'll go verse by verse, and we'll try to break it down and see what the Lord wants us to learn from the story of of John Mark. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 reads, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, Paul referring to Timothy. Verse 10, For Demas has, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and are gathered today to hear from your word, to learn what it is, Lord, that you would have us to hear, that we may comprehend it, we may understand it, and it may change us from the inside, that we would, Lord, be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, as we desire to be profitable servants for you, that you would work in our hearts, in our midst right now, Lord. You would speak to us in the deep and inner core of, of our being that we may be able to say, Lord, we desire to, to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to give you the context of the, these passages. Uh, Paul is currently in Rome. He's imprisoned and he's waiting Essentially, he's waiting for a death sentence. And he writes a letter to Timothy. Um, Timothy uh, was currently in Ephesus. He writes to, to Timothy, uh, Timothy asking or telling him that he wants to see him. He mentions here that uh, uh, one of his companions, Demas, had forsaken him, left him. And he says the reason is that he loved this present world. That's what it says. And then we have Crescens. He went to Galatia. And then we have Titus went to Dalmatia. And Tychicus, later we find that go, he goes uh, to Ephesus, while Timothy comes from Ephesus. And if you read the verse, subsequent verses uh, along the way, he mentions a few things that he asked Timothy to bring. He says, Timothy, um, bring, bring Mark with you when, when you come. Okay? This, this gentleman, John Mark, bring Mark with you. John was his first name. Mark was his surname. Often uh, in the Greek, they would refer to someone with uh, the surname, referring them to Mark, and, and the Jews would often more likely use their first name, John. So we often see John or Mark, but we know that his first name is John and his surname is Mark. And uh, Paul asked Timothy, bring Mark along with you. He's profitable to me. Bring Bring my cloak, bring my books, bring my parchments, and come before winter. And then it says that in verse, in verse 6, I'll, I'll read verse 6, follow with me. It says uh, in chapter 4, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew that his death sentence would come anytime soon. He was already imprisoned. 
Now, we don't know the exact reason as to why he was calling Timothy. Um, we know that there were things that he requested of him, but we also understand that these would be secondary. And it's my understanding, and a lot of commentators would say, uh, it's likely that, that Paul wanted to give words of encouragement and affirmation um, because he was soon no longer going to be with him. Uh, and things in which were too personal or for whatever reasons were not necessary to, to write in, this, in a public letter to him. And then we have uh, two examples given to us that are a stark contrast. We have a gentleman called Demas and we have a gentleman, uh, John Mark. We have this comparison and I just want to have a quick look at the example of Demas. You don't have to turn there, but this is what Paul had originally said about Demas in Colossians 4.14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So Demas was someone who uh, was once in Paul's good books. And what's interesting is that commentators were uh, actually mixed uh, in their understanding of whether Demas was a, a Christian or not, whether he was saved or not. Um, they're, they're, in, uh, they're, not they're not agreeable, agreed in this particular uh, topic, but what's more important is that Demas didn't end up redeeming himself. That's the, what, that's the thing that we need to, to remember. That's the example we want to, to take. And it says, having loved this present world. So even if, let's just say he was saved, let's say he was a Christian. I guess this is not in reference to him completely uh, going to the world and following after the world. It would be more in regards to he didn't want to lose his life. He was under the danger and the fear of, of persecution and even imprisonment and death. Because that's what, happened, uh, that's what happened with the early believers. That's what we read of Paul. That's why Paul is currently in prison when he wrote to his second letter to Timothy. There are dangers associated with preaching the gospel at that time. And this Demas, in seeing all that, didn't want to lose his life. And he departed. On the other hand, we have this example of John Mark. Now, it says in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Luke is a doctor, that, a physician, that wrote uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He is a traveling companion of Paul, hence why his detail of, of his journeys are so uh, elaborate. He's an he's a post, he's a eyewitness to Paul. Uh, so he saw everything that he wrote. It wasn't just thing. It wasn't just hearsay. Much of what he wrote was from his own mouth and from his own eyes. So here we have John Mark, a traveling companion, <clears throat> and we're gonna we're gonna turn to Acts chapter 12, please. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 12, and we're gonna see this connection between John, John Mark, Paul, and Barnabas. Acts chapter 12. Verse 25. 
Acts chapter 12, verse 25. It reads, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So here we see directly that John Mark was a traveling companion of Barnabas and Paul. We don't have to turn there, but in Colossians 4.10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. What, is, what this is actually referring to is that Marcus, Marcus's, uh, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. So Barnabas was the uncle of John Mark. Well, John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. And that's how we see the connection. And if we go to Acts 12, 12, please. Acts 12, verse 12. It says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together, praying. So the context of this is that... um. John's home was used as a camp for the early believers in Jerusalem. This was the place where they gathered to fellowship, to pray, to seek, to seek safety. It was also the place in which uh, Peter came knocking at the door after the angel freed him from Herod's prison. So if anyone knows that story, Peter knocks on the door and then a woman comes and, and hears Peter's voice, doesn't believe it, and so forth and so forth. This is that house. So if we look at John Mark and we try to bring him kind of closer to to, to our uh, our lifestyle, we can see that he was uh, brought up much like the young people of the church here today. He was brought up in uh, what you could say a godly upbringing. Uh, He was safeguarded by his parents. His parents uh, were obviously uh, honored and, and respected and had a reputation uh, a good reputation among the brethren or among the believers. They would have lived in a decently sized home in order to fit many people. So we can assume also he wasn't poor. It's likely that he brought up he was brought up in some somewhat of a rel- relatively wealthy home, much like the young people uh, in this church today. There's a lot to actually be able to relate to him with. And then in the next chapter of Acts, turn with me to Acts 13. 13, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So here, and then, um, <clears throat> so here we have uh, Barnabas and Saul. They're going to go on their first missionary journey, okay? Uh, they're going to go on their first missionary journey, and we all already read that in Acts 
1225, they took John, uh, John with them to, uh, as part of their ministry. And later, in following that chapter, we're going to read what happens to Mark. Okay? We're going to read what happens to him. Please turn with me to verse 13, please, of that same chapter, Acts 13, verse 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So we hear, we see John initially going with, with Paul and Barnabas, and then he returns back home. We're not given the actual reason. We don't know exactly why, but it's likely he would have also, like Demas, felt a fear of danger. He felt the persecution. Possibly he didn't enjoy the, re- the rejection. Whatever it was, he left, he departed. And we see later in Acts 15, a little bit more detail. Turn with me to Acts 15, please. A little bit more detail regarding this. Verse 36 and 40 to 41. It shines some light of what happened after this situation. In verse 36 it reads, And some days after, I'll give you some context. Uh, This is after their first missionary journey. They've returned. And verse 36 says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with him with them who departed from them thence them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed on to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So Paul and Barnabas did decide to revisit the churches that they had started in, the, in their first missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take his nephew again. He wanted to give him a second chance. Barnabas obviously saw something change within John Mark. And then he... He, he, he's, he wanted to take him with them. But Paul, Paul said, Paul lost trust in John Mark. And Paul mentioned he departed from us before and he left uh, alluding to not continuing with them to do the work. Paul is essentially saying, no, I don't want to take John Mark. John Mark has become unprofitable unto me. And this this agreement was so bad that they couldn't come to a resolution. They ended up splitting up. So that is essentially the story of of John Mark. We read in the beginning in 2 Timothy that that is the end. It's It's a good ending. But this is how it began. He was first an unprofitable servant. And for me personally, even though there's very little in the Bible that's written about Mark, as a Christian, I can relate much more to him than I can with Barnabas and, 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 and Paul. 
And like I mentioned, there are many things that we can relate to him, uh, re- relate with him, his upbringing, and and so forth. And on top of that, his uncle was was a prominent preacher, called by the Holy Spirit, a man of God, and sent by the church. What an opportunity at first, John Mark had, to to become a man of God, from from men of God, an opportunity of a lifetime that he had, when when they were going to go uh, out on their first missionary journey. He he had this opportunity to follow them, to learn, and to grow, and to become men like him, men like them. But yet, it was also a test at the same time, a test that would prove him whether he was able to keep the faith, whether he was able to finish his course, whether he would end up, as Pastor said, receiving a crown. And I can relate to John Mark. I too, in my Christian walk, have had opportunities to do great things for God, yet I was proven to fall short. These, were, these are a disappointing and often discouraging times for me. It is in these times that we often question ourselves, and sometimes we, off, we end up questioning God. Yet God proves us because He wants us to know what it takes to serve Him. He wants us to know the reality of what it takes for us to be humble servants meet for His use. He wants to prove us. Otherwise, we're living in a spiritual fairy tale. All talk, and there's no walk. And that's not what the Lord wants from us. So the Lord tests us. He proves us. Not for His sake, He knows all, but for our sake, that we may be sanctified, we may be conformed to to the image of Jesus Christ. That way we become uh, more profitable to Him. But the problem is that oftentimes in these times of disappointment that we have, in these times of discouragement, we often begin to find comfort in the flesh. Why? Because it's, it's right there, it's available, it's instant, it's gratifying. But sin is only good for a season, it's only pleasurable for a season. And it always begins with something that seems harmless and small, doesn't it? Something, just, something really small and trivial. But the thing is that Sin, as the Bible describes it, is exceedingly sinful. It, may, it gets exceedingly sinful. You may start with something small, but eventually it go, you go down a rabbit hole and it just it opens a can of, of, of worms. In this case, it opens a can of sin. And all of a sudden, we're unaware of how we even got there. We begin to blame ourselves, we begin to blame others, we begin, begin to blame God. And it's... it's it's never about us. But, but truly, in the, in the words of James in chapter 1.14, truly, we, we have we've not able to recognize that we've been drawn away and enticed by our own lusts. That's what James, James says. He says, no, the reason why you're in this situation is because you have been drawn away and enticed by your own lusts. But is this the end for us? Is that, is, that, is that how it is? Is that how it's meant to end for the Christian? I'm sure any, any Christian here today, anyone who's faced any significant ongoing struggle has, has, has come to a point where they thought to themselves, no, I can't be helped. 
But that's not how the Christian life is meant to be. Let me, let me give you some, some words of wisdom from the God of wisdom. Please turn with me to Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, uh, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 16 reads, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. You see, a righteous man is one that gets up again. If and when you fall, the Bible says, get up again. Often in times of our struggle, we, we don't need to, to hear what we need to do because we technically know. We know what we have to do. When I think of myself and the problems that that, that I, I used to face and, and, and will face in the future, the thing is that I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. It wasn't a matter of, oh, what, should, what do I need to do? It was, it was never a matter of that. It's, it's that I didn't want to do it, so I kept convincing myself otherwise. And that's the problem. You have to stop the convincing mind first. It's not a matter of knowing what to do. It's a matter of, of doing it. And there's a pattern uh, in the Bible that's given to us to address this, and that's in James. So please turn with me as we look at um, what James says about what we should do in this situation. James chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to read. James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7 reads, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submitting and resisting requires confessing and forsaking of sin. We read in Proverbs, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read you another proverb. It's Proverbs 28, 13. Please listen as I read. It says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Submitting and resisting requires confessing and forsaking of sin. If you've been in a habit of sin, now you need to create a habit of not sinning. You know, um, it takes a hundred days, they say, to stop a habit. And they determine this number by how long it might generally take for the brain to rewire. Re rewire. So that's where they get 100 days. So what we can do is we can make that a goal, for example. We can commit whatever issue we're facing. We, we should confess it and we should forsake it. And we should do it. And here's the promise. The promise is that the devil will flee from you. Don't think that God is the only one that, that proves us. We can also prove God as well. God gives us promises. And what, and, and, and what I mean by that is we can prove God 
But all that, but it requires faith. So if we believe it, we try it, God will prove it. So here we have something that we can prove. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The next verse says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, it's not a matter of just, um, sorry, it says to cleanse and purify ourselves. So in a practical sense, this is the, the forsaking part. Okay, We are to cleanse and purify ourselves. It's not just enough to confess it, we must also depart from it. You know, in Second Timothy, in the, in the second chapter of verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And then verse 9, it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Here we have repentance, genuine repentance. The essence of, it, of, of this is that we must take it seriously. We must take our sin seriously. Sin is so serious that it was enough before we were saved to send us to hell. And after salvation, it's serious enough to forfeit our reward in heaven. You may spend your entire life building wealth and, and being able to buy multiple mansions, supercars, everything that you want, you desire and you want. You can spend your whole life doing that. But when you compare that to the smallest, the tiniest possible reward that you get, can get into heaven, it is nothing but loss. You know what Paul says about that? Paul says he compares it to dung. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In the light of eternity, any, any, anything that you can gain in this world is, is but loss and dung. And that's what we have to, to understand. James 4.10, the next verse, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. That's the punchline. God wants us to humble ourselves. That's really the issue. That's the crux of probably every spiritual issue we face and why we can't uh, have victory over it. There's a need to be humble and we can't get out of the rut that we're in because we're unwilling to, to humble ourselves. You know, if you're God's child and you're unwilling to humble yourself, you have to understand that God's eventually going to, to do it for you. And that's how God works. That's how much He loves you. And that's what He will do as an expression of His love. Isn't it better then to humble ourselves than to, to wait for the chastening hand of God to be upon us? So these verses, I, I, I pray, I, it is my hope and my desire that, that if any of us are, are stuck in a rut, that we would follow the, the instructions given to us in these verses, we would look at the example of, of John Mark and, and, and see that, that, yes, though we may be an unprofitable servant now, but yes, also, we can become a profitable servant uh, in the future.
And I just want to end where we started back in 2 Timothy. Please let us return back to 2 Timothy 4, chapter 9 to 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. I'll make an ending, uh, a last remark, and we'll end there with, with a word of prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. We are indeed like John, and John is indeed like us. We fall, we fail, we fall short, we are often proven wrong, but that's, what, that's not what makes us wicked. No. The falling is not the problem. We all fall. The problem is not getting back up. The righteous get back up. The righteous fall many times and get back up. So brother, sister, if you're struggling and you feel you've become unprofitable, think, I have to get back up. Follow the wisdom of God that has been taught to you tonight. I pray and I've tried my best not to give my own opinion, but try to give it to you as, as God has given it to me in His Word. And if you follow God's wisdom and, you, and, you, and you, you follow these instructions, God will use you again and you'll be able to say, I am a profitable servant for the Lord.